And now we will read our gospel for this morning. Today our gospel text is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Jesus said to the disciples, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed or lost in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you in heaven by my Father. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Upper Dublin. Uh, It is so good to be with you today. Um, Please pray with me. God, we ask that in this time of meditation on this text, you would show us what is on your heart for us and our communities today, both for UDLC and all the other communities we inhabit. Bless this time and this space. Amen. So this morning and this summer, really, um, our lectionary has taken us through a bunch of different parables of Jesus talking about how to raise Christ followers. He talks about seeds and how to sow using farming metaphors for us. And we are in the middle of these series of texts about how to raise people of faith. And so when we come to this text today about conflict in community, we remember that it is within Jesus telling us how to grow the church, how to find more Christ followers, how to raise up our little ones in the church. And it's also important to note that this text this morning comes directly after the parable of the lost sheep. So most of us know the story, right? It is the story of God caring so fiercely for each individual person that Jesus says a shepherd should leave their flock if one is astray. Jesus also says that you should leave all 99 um, other sheep if there is just one who is lost and in need of your help and of your love. And so we want to remember that scripture as we read this one this morning because Putting scripture in our larger context helps us avoid oversimplifying messages. For example, if we just read what we have this morning without knowing anything else about Jesus or what Jesus is trying to teach us at this point in the book of Matthew, we might think it's just a simple three-part plan, right? We read the scripture and it says, if someone sins against you or you disagree with someone, if someone hurts you, point it out to them in private. 
okay, that seems like a very reasonable thing to do, right? We don't want to embarrass people unnecessarily. We, we do confrontation in private first. And then it says if they do not listen to you, you bring two or three friends with you sort of for backup, maybe for alternate perspectives. We can all relate to saying something with one intention and then having someone take it differently. So maybe you take two or three people with you. They can help clarify what you're trying to say. But then if you're not listened to, it says go tell your whole congregation, which is to say if I had a conflict with someone at UDLC, I would send out a newsletter if I had not felt listened to about that conflict. And then if that person does not hear you still, if they have not recognized their sin, our scripture tells us, while they are to be to you as a tax collector or a Gentile, which considering tax collectors and Gentiles were sort of outcasts in society back in Jesus' day, some might read that as to say, like, they are no longer your problem. They're not a part of the church, so you can just sort of wash your hands of the situation. But that is way too simple of a reading of the text. And we know that because it lets, it lets us off the hook way too easily. It is inconsistent with everything else Jesus has told us to do. If really it was sim as simple as just writing people off after a few conversations because you haven't been heard, well, then Jesus wouldn't be the kind of God who also told us to go after that lost sheep. Because a God who abandons 99 sheep in order to find one does so for two reasons. Both because they care about that lost sheep. They need that lost sheep to feel loved. And also because they care about wholeness in communities. You see, I think it's intentional that Jesus made the rest of the flock 99 sheep right? He could have said God abandons 98 sheep and goes after the one, or 100, or 52, or 487, or Jesus could have just said the flock and not put a number to it at all. But I think that 99 is intentional, because when that shepherd, which is to say God, or us on behalf of Jesus, finds that last sheep and returns them to the flock, we have this beautiful, universally recognized whole number. 100, right? And so I think we can glean from that that Jesus also cares about unity and wholeness, that in bringing in each lost sheep, we are becoming more whole as a community. And just in case Jesus' disciples who heard this originally, or his followers, which would be us, forget about Jesus' character, um, he makes it very clear in those instructions, in the text for today itself, right? Using the words tax collector and Gentile is intentional. He could have said outcasts, right? He could say not a part of the church, but he said tax collector and Gentile because Jesus' disciples, people who hang around church a lot, would know that that is coded language. When Jesus says, let them be as tax collectors and Gentiles, he's saying, treat them the way I treat tax collectors and Gentiles. And Jesus treats tax collectors and Gentiles with love and hospitality. At this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus has performed miracles. Jesus has invited people to sit with him at the table who people thought he shouldn't be eating with. Jesus has shown this radical inclusion into the kingdom and into Jesus' flock to exactly those people. And so when we read, let them be to you as tax collectors and Gentiles, we read this challenge of inclusivity and 
hospitality posed to us by Jesus. Jesus is saying that we are to care for these people even as they haven't listened to us, that we need to love them and we need to provide for their spiritual needs and their physical needs if they have them, that we need to see hope in our future with those people. We need to take just as much responsibility for their well-being as Jesus does for ours. And it's at this point in our text this morning that Jesus gives us an ecclesiology lesson, which is to say that Jesus told those first Christians what it is to be the church. He said, when two or three are gathered, he is there, Jesus is there. And note, it does not say when two or three agree or get along or treat each other kindly. When two or three are gathered. Yes, Jesus does declare that it is uh, what those people agree on, what they ask for God for together, that God will provide, but it's not contingent on resolving that initial conflict. What might on the surface seem like a reasonable strategy for conflict resolution, right? Try to listen to each other in different contexts, really in the end is not about conflict resolution. Jesus never says once they listen to you, then you gather together and ask God for things together. He wants you to confront sin and hurt, of course, but loving people and finding common ground are really what it's all about. And so, I want to look at this verse more tangibly, right? Because I feel like we're told to love people all the time in the church. And so loving people I disagree with is just something I'll add to my list of loves. But I think how Jesus is talking about being the church is um, is something that must be practiced and played out. And so there's one example of a time in my life that someone was church to me, and I'm going to share it with you. This past fall, you see my school announced plans for paying reparations, which is the term for recognizing your role in slavery in the United States and then trying to move forward with a more equitable racial makeup in, um, in this case, in your school. And so, as you can imagine, this was a rather long and difficult and divisive process for my school community. And my school started researching the role they played in slavery long before I was ever a student there. They had done a historical slavery audit, um, really digging into this. And so my first fall, my first semester at seminary, they released the results of that audit. And then they spent a year listening to different people related to my school. So they listened to students and they had events with alumni and they listened to professors and they invited people who just lived in Princeton, lived near my school to share their reactions and responses as well. And so they spent a year doing that and it was all going to uh, culminate with the release of their response to the audit this past fall. And you better believe everyone on campus knew that that was the week that the response was going to be released because there was sort of a palpable, palpable energy and tension. There were extra groups meeting to pray, extra people trying to meet with board of trustee members to get maybe their perspective shared at the last minute. And we were all very aware that on this one Friday, the response was going to come out. When the response did come out, I spent that evening reading each and every document to make sure I understood. And I called one of my good friends and we sort of talked out our reactions. And I went to church or, excuse me, community leaders who I admired on campus. I went to their social media accounts to try to learn what their reactions were. And I spent maybe 
the next week sort of formulating my own opinion. I let it sort of sit in me and I was, I was trying to make it not an emotional response, but also gather all this other information. And right sort of at the end of me formulating my opinion about this response, my opinion that was, it was not in total agreement, right? It wasn't, of course, the way I would have written this document or these actions. Um, right when I was sort of on the cusp of that, there was an event with some trustee members and it was hosted for alumni, but students could come. And so a friend and I went, we sat in the back. We just listened. We were hoping to get more perspective on why the decision was made the way it was. And afterwards, we went up to one of the trustees and we just asked if she would let us ask her some more questions. She very gracefully um, sat us down over coffee and we started talking and I just kept getting more frustrated through this conversation. I kept feeling as if I would raise concerns that I had and she would sort of dismiss them or maybe give me um, an excuse as opposed to a reasonable explanation. And I am not very good at hiding when I'm frustrated and so she could tell. And about halfway through this conversation, she stopped and she said, you know, I, I wanna be clear about my intentions with, of meeting with you. She said, I want to have the conversation. I think that that has value, but just because I'm listening to you does not mean that I'm going to agree with you. And she repeated to me my frustration showing that she had cared and she had listened to me, but she just didn't see things the same way that I did. She reminded me that especially in situations of conflict or hurt, the conversation is the act of reconciliation or hope in and of itself. And it's not maybe going to end in compromise or agreement. That it was healing for her and she hoped for me as well to have the conversation in and of itself. And so we talked for maybe 15 more minutes and then it ended. And I felt a little unsatisfied with our conversation just because I had hoped, quite frankly, to change someone's mind or opinion, right? Like I had hoped to create a, a space in my school that was more along the lines of what I felt would have been right. But Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there, and that is the church. All three people in that conversation were there because we cared fiercely about getting this right. We were gathered because we care about who we are as the church, about how we love our neighbors, in that case, specifically black and brown students on our campus, but all of our neighbors well. We were being the church, and Christ said he was there. Even though we did not agree on what my school should have been doing, we were the church. And you might be thinking, as I have a little bit, this morning about the original scripture saying when someone sins against you as opposed to simple conflict. But I think in this time where division and turning away from people who you don't agree with is a lot easier and maybe more common in these days, I think we can call that sin. Our faith tradition tells us that sin is this turning away from God. It is actions that are not bringing you closer to God and to the church community. And so I think we can define sin as conflict or disagreement. And I want to be clear that this should be run through that filter of the 99 sheep, right? 
there is a difference between a sin that is a disagreement and a sin that is someone actively physically harming or abusing you. And those sins, I'm not sure conflict resolution is going to work on. But when we run our issues through that Jesus filter of 99 sheep, right, is engaging and listening to this going to make someone feel more loved? And is it going to make our church community more whole? And am I going to be safe in the process? And when we run it through that, conflict does count as someone sinning against us and does launch us sort of into Jesus's plan here. Jesus' plan for the church, which is to be gathered together no matter what. Jesus tells us that gathering is a way of being assured God is with us. That finding agreement is a way to trust that God is listening to your prayers. And so in these times, um, it can be enough to gather in whatever way is safe, to trust that God is there, and to find points of agreement, right? That board of trustee member and I could not agree on how to implement these reparations, but through having the conversation, we learned we both cared about the process. We both wanted the flourishing of black and brown students on our campus. We both believed our school was a good and holy place for faith leaders to learn. We wanted our school held to the highest godly standard that we humans could muster. And we both wanted to understand where the other was coming from so that we could trust they were doing the best they could. And so for all of those things, we could go to God and ask for them in unison. We were the church that day, and Jesus says he was there. It wasn't pretty, but we came out just a little bit more whole. It did not make me feel comforted or energized as going to worship often does. It did not make me feel accepted as many small groups have in my past. And it took me a long time to realize that it made me a better Christ follower. But we were the church because the church is not about a building or a specific worship style. And it certainly is not about finding people who agree with you on everything. None of the things we associate church with are wrong, right? Wanting to be in our beautiful building because it's comforting right now is not a bad thing. Wanting to hug our people or have that familiar pita as communion bread are not bad things. However, they've never been the essence of church. The church is and always has been simply people gathering together in Christ's name where Jesus says he will be there. The flock can gather in many different ways because it is always held together by this grace and love of Christ through disagreement, through hurt. Jesus says that he will be there. The flock that is full of people who are sinners and human, of course, is going to have conflict and hurt because people mess up. But those people have also been chased down by God's love. And so growing towards being this complete flock means sticking with each other and trusting that Jesus will be there because he said he would be. The thing about being church is that we're all human, 
and there will always be conflict and people will always hurt each other without even trying. But we are called to pursue wholeness. So we all must ask ourselves this morning, where in what places are we called to follow Jesus' three-point plan, right? Listen and share our perspectives and then love each other anyways to gather and in doing so to be the church because Jesus is there with us. And so this morning, I invite you to go forth into the world loving people and being the church. And I promise you, Jesus will be there. Amen.